Welcome to the Business Addicts Podcast, where the stakes are high, talk is cheap, and results are on the other side of commitment. Hosted by a former addict, myself, and I'm his wife, Jamie. We uncover addicts' mindsets, showing that the talents you've created in your struggle will be the superpowers you leverage to heal your deepest wounds. Listen to former addicts share stories of how they've flipped the switch, including insights into how much we can believe in ourselves. For those of you affected by addiction, we support your desire to help the addict in your life by raising the stakes and creating emotional barriers. In this episode, we talk with Mark King again. Mark is my coach and also an honorary founding member of the company that Jamie, myself, and my sister, Kara, have founded together, Believe Crew. What we're going to be talking about in this episode is resistance in companies. But I think that one thing we want to consider is just how it applies to us. Are we resisting the growth, the choices, the commitment that we need to choose to grow and to get over our addiction, to be our best self? Let's have fun with this. Today we're talking about resistance with under the larger topic of leaders, followers, and resistors. So Mark, how how do we know the difference when we're evaluating teams? Who is a resistor? Who is a leader? Who's a follower? So um, the concept of leader, follower, resistor, um, I was first exposed to many years ago, and and it was under the heading of group dynamics. Toyota did work in this area with their lean production system. Uh, They actually found in their uh, efforts that it was actually 1080-10. I found that it was 2060-20. And what I mean by that is that in any group or organization, what you'll find is uh, 20% lead, 60% follow, and then 20% can resist. And what happens in a lot of organizations is that um, the thought process is, well, my my leaders are leading, my followers are following. Boy, if I could just get my resistors to jump on board, we'd be golden, okay? Uh, but it doesn't usually work that way. Uh, what happens in those situations is we tend to let our leaders just be off on their own. And as a result, they don't feel coalesced around a greater vision. and so. Because resistors are more uh, committed to resistance, uh, they come off as more coalesced. And actually, it it can lead to feeling like the organization is moving in the wrong direction. I've had a number of uh, companies over the course of my career where, you know, they really had had a good thing going on. Uh, They had good people in their organization. But because they didn't pay attention to group dynamics, they were stuck. And they were expending a lot more emotional energy coping in their environments than they were producing. So the the way to deal with this, and and it exists, you know, you can't really deny that it exists. So um, to deal with this effectively, what you have to do is you have your leaders. What What are leaders always predisposed to do? Well, they're predisposed to lead. But in order to do that, they need to have a vision or a direction that they're 
uh, pursuing together. And so that's the first step is to uh, coalesce your leaders around uh, a greater vision. And the vision should be a reflection of what the what the company has the potential to accomplish, right? Should be a worthy goal, if you will. And then uh, once the leaders are coalesced around that vision and pursuing it, then the followers will, will follow. And then what happens to the resistors, and I want to make a statement about the resistors in just a minute. Uh, what happens to the resistors is they get pulled up to a challenge point, okay? If you don't, if you don't have the leaders leading, then the resistors kind of just hang back and they'll just throw rocks at ideas and new, new pursuits. Um, but what happens when the leaders lead, it pulls the resistors up to a challenge point where they have to either get on the bus or get off the bus. And, and either path is fine. It, it's, it, this is not making a judgment about people. You know, maybe this is just no longer their path. But the, the biggest, and this is what I wanted to say about resistors. Resistors are not bad people in organizations. They're just afraid. Okay. And their fear trumps their ability or uh, commitment to trying to tackle new things. And we can help them try to overcome that challenge. But the problem is, is that a lot of people, when it comes to dealing with resistors, they try to hear their problem and then uh, help them from a compassionate perspective. The only problem with that is resistors use our compassion against us. Okay, and they are better at deflecting responsibility than we are at holding them accountable. So my recommendation with resistors, the, the best way I believe to help resistors is to just be unemotional and direct. Okay, because if, you, if you're emotional about it, if you're compassionate about it, unnecessarily so, what happens is, is they take that emotional energy and use it as justification for why they feel the way they do, okay? And what we're trying to do is not a help, was to help everybody to not put emotional energy into their fears, okay? Right, what did, what did uh, Dennis Waitley say about fears? False evidence appearing real. Technically, our fears are lies, and, uh, and we need to see them as such, and we need to fight them off as such. So, you know, again, this is the path that, you know, I really think, inside organizations. Um, this exists. Group dynamics exists. You have to pay attention to it. And when you understand it and see it and deal with it appropriately, um, you know, then you can overcome the resistance in the organization. So just to clarify, with leaders, once you've got that greater vision to pursue, you bring them close and you ask them to do more. Followers, we don't ask them necessarily to do more, but we ask them to do uh, what they're doing better, okay? Ask them to improve in their role. And then with resistors, we ask them to, if you see the commitment forward, get on the bus. Uh, but if you can't see that way forward, then go ahead and get off the bus. Um, if you, Well, I'll just go ahead. I'll tell you a quick story. So I was working with this organization, and they had 34 managers who were responsible for, uh, I don't know, a couple hundred employees. And um, I, I talked to the, uh, the leader, 
And um, she was struggling because uh, in her management team, the resistors were leading. So any new initiative that came up got immediately quashed. They immediately found reasons why not to pursue it. Okay. And so it really kept her management team stuck. And, um, uh, you know, she asked, uh, how do we turn this around? Well, in their particular case, uh, we had to do something kind of creative. And so, you know, leaders, if you're trying to figure out who the leaders are in an organization, and I'll get into the specific measurements of doing that. In her particular case, uh, what we decided to do was um, we were going to offer a leadership development program, but you had to join sight unseen. You had to just take us at our word that it would be good leadership development. Okay. Now, leaders are willing to take that step of faith, right, to find out what's in there. So out of 34, we had 11 people uh, sign up. So 11 out of 34 is greater than 20%. So guess what? We win, okay? And so I sat down with the uh, first 11 folks, and we talked about, okay, here's what you signed up for. You are going to lead us into the future. And then we kind of laid out the rules, right? You, you know, there, there's a couple of things. One is you're going to have to model the new behavior going forward. You're going to have to do things that are uncomfortable for yourself. We want you to be your absolute best. But we want you to be able to adapt to others and do the right thing, even though it makes you uncomfortable. Um, what's said here stays here. You can't take this out of camp. You know, people are going to ask. And all I... All I want you to say when they ask is just say, hey, we're studying some good stuff. So they embraced this thought process, and these 11 people really took it upon themselves to kind of pursue the greater vision for the organization. Well, in about six months, what do you think happened? Well, the followers in the organization said, hey, we're hearing good things about this leadership development program. What about us? Can we get on board? And we said, sure, come on in, right? And we did the same thing with them. About a year later, so it's six month cycles, about a year later, then the resistors came in and they said, hey, we heard there's some really great stuff going on and we don't want to left behind. Can we get on board too? And that's how we turned the whole organization around. And those 34 managers became the leaders in their organization. Now the the, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story is about two years later, we had wrapped up our work. And about two years later, the company introduced a new sales process. Okay. And they, they picked a well-known firm to come in and teach this sales process to their managers. And after the first month, the, the, this company came to the, the, the leaders and they said, hey, what, what is going on with your people? And they said, what do you mean? What do you mean what's going on with our people? They said, we've been doing this for 25 plus years. And we have never had a team of people adapt as quickly as your team has to our sales process. And the only thing they could trace it back to is that at one point we asked 11 people to lead the organization into the future and model that behavior for everybody else. And because they had built that in, right, when it came to new initiatives, they had the 
the path to already pursue it. So that's the power of this stuff, is you can flip an organization if you really pay attention to group dynamics, who's your leaders, who's your followers, who's your resistors. Wow, that's that's a really powerful story. So it sounds like they, uh, going back to kind of the beginning of what you said, that there is the leaders have figured out something they're rallying around that's mm-hmm. really powerful. So they yep. believe in it. And that's also helps them when the resistors are coming and beating them up to be really continuing to focus on what they're doing and not be distracted. Did I hear that right? Well, this goes a little bit back to a previous conversation we've had, is that initially, you know, when you ask a group of leaders to step out and start to pursue a greater vision, they're really stepping out in faith, right? Because you're asking them to build something that doesn't exist yet. So, um, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about this a little bit later. I believe every single person on the planet wants to be successful, but I don't think I don't think everybody knows how to be successful. So that's really where we're kind of playing here. And so when you have leaders that want to accomplish something significant, when you put that in front of them, early on, what they're doing is they're acting out of their belief. Okay. So when you're working with your leadership team and they're working out of belief, they're not going to have a lot of evidence to support that they're on the right track. Right. And that's when that concept of your beliefs are strong, but they're fragile. And we as leaders in those conditions, in those situations, we have to be very careful of how we cultivate that belief. We have to find small wins or we have to find evidence that things are moving in the right direction. And what that usually looks like, it's not necessarily in results, but it's in how people are tackling problems or dealing with situations? Are they following the same old patterns and paths they used to, or are they trying to do it in the new way? That's the evidence that we're moving in the right direction. And so early on, it's one of those things where you you have to protect the belief and you have to build the belief. Because, you know, if you look at the how things are built, it's the four stages, hope, belief, desire, action, and then accomplishment. And what a lot of people do when they tackle or put out a new vision or a new goal is they go right to the how. Well, part of the problem is if you haven't built your belief yet, your hope and belief yet, you don't have the paradigm uh, to figure out the how. And so what happens is if they don't have the paradigm shift, then what happens is they go to the action steps. They don't have the action steps and then they dismiss or think that the goal was never meant to be achieved. No, you just never built, spent enough time building the belief necessary to create the paradigm that allowed the action steps to take place. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And this is, this is kind of happening here at, at uh, belief crew. Uh, well, in the last few weeks, even <laughs> like as we, as I move away from, uh, I move more full time into what I'm doing here. I, I'm working through those fears that come up again, right? And just like building that belief, even for myself, along with the three of us that are leading the, the organization, you know, just 
continuing to believe that we're doing the right thing. And really, like you said, it's not it's not the results necessarily, but it's the fact that things really feel powerful. It's the way people are responding to what we're saying. It's the energy that's involved that feels, well, it feels like love. You know, it feels powerful versus mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the fear that sometimes comes up in my head, like, what really are we doing and where are the results <laughs> or whatever it is, you know, um, or are, are we getting people's approval, those type of things. All right. So from a resistor standpoint, they, they see that going on. They don't understand it. They're still living in their fears. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the fact that in your story that there were, you gave the space. So you created the space with the team that you're working with to help the leaders and the followers to get really rallied around what they were doing, get really set with it, understand what they're doing and the, the energy behind it that they could learn to love that. And then, yeah, it's like they attracted the resistors in and, and personally, like as, as someone who does resist and recognizes how I resist in some ways, uh, I, that's the reason why I totally agree with you that it's the fear that we have of change or, or whatever our fear is that is causing us to back away. But if we really embrace that or at least embrace the vision, the, the progress we see in others, then you're like attracting us into that area of leading. Well, and, and, you know, to that point, Kevin, you know, what you're really doing is, so, you know, I talked about uh, how resistors will use or can use our compassion against us. Right. Well, if you're committed to, and this is why, to me, what keeps you on the team or takes you off the team is are you selfless or selfish? Because if you're committed to protecting your fear, then you're being selfish. You're not contributing to the greater good, right? We're here to serve others first. We're here to love others uh, as ourselves. So if you don't do that and you're committed to protecting your fear, then that's how you stand in opposition of the growth of the organization. And so, you know, a lot of times what people think, and this goes back to some of the initial comments we've made, is that they think that um, um, if we can rationally uh, take somebody or protect somebody from their fear, we're helping them. We're not actually helping them. The only way that helps somebody with, with their fear is to what? Is to take them through it. You know, if you look at how God works with us, right? Does he remove all our fears? No, he takes us through them because what he wants to do is break our bondage to those fears. So when I've got a whole group of people, if if I've got 100 people in an organization, 20 are leading, 60 are following, 60% are following, those 20% see 80% actually doing it, right? And enough of them want to do it. They want to be a part of that success as well. So this is how we help them break their bondage to fear. Now I can tell you, you know, in all my in all my time doing this, does every resistor get on board? No, they do not. You know, and and you know, I feel sorry for some of those folks. I've had some really weird reactions when people are put into a position where they're they're they need to face their fears, but they don't want to. Uh, they engage in some very different behavior, you know. But this is, you know, and I'm not trying to diminish what they're going through. 
But you cannot sacrifice the whole of the organization for one individual in their fears. You just can't do it. Um, so this is the best way I've found anyway, and I'm not the only one that's ever done this, to, to help resistors through their fears. All right, so let's put our leader hat on for a second, and we're working with a team. And how do we properly evaluate our resistors and really understand if they're even a resistor? Yeah, so this goes to the measures. Um, there are three key measures that um, I use to evaluate leaders, followers, and resistors. So you know, the first one is emotional energy, right? Um, to me, this the concept of emotional energy is not given enough attention because you only have so much emotional energy, right? You have 100%. And you're either going to use that emotional energy to produce or you're going to use it to cope. And the goal is to use as much of that emotional energy to produce in and with and through others as humanly possible. So the first measure is emotional energy. How much emotional energy on your part does it take to help others or keep others productive, right? And leaders are low maintenance. Followers can be medium maintenance and resistors will be high maintenance. You're constantly having to pour energy into them to keep them productive. So that's one. The second one is uh, inward or outward focus. Are they in it to serve themselves, inward focus, or in it to serve others, outwardly focused? And then last but not least, they've identified um, adaptability as a core leadership trait. So um, there's three levels that I've identified. Did they change at a creative level, meaning that um, they anticipate the change coming and change before uh, the change occurs? Uh, copy, do they at least see the change occur and they follow it? Or crisis, the change occurs and they stop dead in their tracks, okay? So if, if you're a leader, you're going to be an LO1. You're going to be a a low maintenance, outwardly focused, creative level type of change agent. If you're a follower, you're going to be an MO2, right? You're going to be medium maintenance, you're going to be outwardly focused, and you're going to at least be able to change at a copy level. If you're a resistor, you're going to be high maintenance, inwardly focused, and not willing to change at all. And those are the three measures. I can follow you on the first part and the last part, but how do we properly judge whether someone's inwardly or outwardly focused? So, yeah, I get asked, I get this asked a lot because, well, how can you possibly know somebody's motivation? Um, look at the, look at their fruit. What fruit do they produce? What results do they produce in and around their team, right? When their team members talk about them, what do they talk about? How do they refer to this person? And that will give you insight as to whether or not they're inwardly or outwardly focused. If they don't ever have any good thing to say about these people, about their contribution or their ability to commit to the success of the organization, chances are they're inwardly focused. Uh, but if the perception is, is good and they feel like this person is a team member and is committed to helping the team accomplish, then then you've, you're looking at good fruit, and then you know they're outwardly focused. Tell you another story. I was doing some um, um, PIP work, um, 
performance improvement plan work for a large corporation here in the area. And uh, they had a gentleman on staff that they had put through three performance improvement plans, okay? And each time he aced the plan, right? But went right back to the poor behavior that put him on a poor performance improvement plan. So they kept putting him on the same type of plan, right? So they said, can you see the, can you look at the situation and figure out how we turn this around? And so I looked at the performance improvement plan and this played right into the employee's hands because it was all hard measured stuff that, you know, you could look at and say, yes, done, 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 done. But what they were eliminating, what they weren't putting into play was how is this per person perceived by their teammates? Okay. So I said, well, my recommendation is you change the PIP. Okay. Put this person on a 90-day improvement plan. But here's the thing. Every week, you're going to have 10 of his peers fill out a satisfaction survey card. And they're going to tell you how helpful this individual was in terms of their day-to-day -day and week-to-week -week work, okay? So they thought, huh, that's a good idea. Laid this out in front of the employee. What was his first reaction? Absolutely not. I'm not interested. Oh, man, freaked out. Are you kidding me? I mean, I got to be measured by my peers and how they think I mean. I mean, he was like off the Richter scale. So, but we put it in place. We put the PIP in place based on the perception of the fellow peers he had in his group, guess what? He made it through the 90-day survey and became a good employee. Wow. I didn't expect that ending. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me neither. But that's the, that's, the, that's the fruit discussion, is that look at the fruit that this person creates. Does he leave people, he or she, do they leave people better off for having been with them? And uh, if it's better, outwardly focused, if not, inwardly focused. What do you notice about people, resistors, when it comes to blaming? Uh, go a little bit Go a little bit further. Blaming others, you mean? Well, in their communication, um, do you notice anything about them pointing the finger? Over time, it wouldn't obviously be in a 10-minute conversation, but as you get to know someone, I know you do... Uh, I don't know what I think you said 25,000 personal one-on-one -on -one interviews. So if you have to identify that in a short period of time, is there any red flags around pointing the finger, blaming others? Uh, I can't do this because of others, that kind of thing. Anything you've noticed? It's a, it's a great question. So um, uh, I will tell you this. I think I'm pretty good at this work. I don't even like taking resistors on head on because I, you know, I can't, uh, it, you know, it's not about a rational discussion, right? They're dealing with a fear. So typically what you'll see is uh, a resistor, the kind of resistor talk we'll hear is, well, if you'll, uh, if you would just fix this, then I could move forward, right? And then what happens? You fix that. And then what happens? If you could just fix this, then I could move forward. So it's a lot of that type of stuff that there's always... Uh, something that's standing in the way, you know, something external to themselves that needs to be fixed before they move forward. And and that's the, you know, I think that's a, a crux of this work 
is that um, a lot of people today, and this goes back kind of to the success issue here. I, you know, I think everybody wants to be successful, but I don't think everybody's been taught how to be successful. I mean, I learned how to be successful by playing sports. You know, that's where I got it. But, you know, the, the thing is, is that there's a price to be paid to be successful. And I don't know what someone's price is, you know, that's very personal to the individual. I mean, the two of you right now are pursuing success, right? So the the fact that you're having to step out in faith with no assurance of success, right? Guess what? That's part of the price you're paying to be successful. So I would never, ever want to remove that from them, right? So when people say, uh, wow, this is really hard. I mean, I'm having to put in a lot of time and effort, and I don't even know if it's going to work out. You know, my answer to that is, wow, hallelujah. You are on the right track. Good job, you know. And so I think this it's the same with resistors is that they think this is outside-in work rather than inside-out work. And what I mean by that, outside-in is, well, if I have the right job, the right car, the right house, the right kids, the right spouse, et cetera, et cetera, then I'm okay. It doesn't work that way. Life is an expression of who you are inside. And the effort is to how can I get how can I get become the best person I can become and then be of service in all of these other roles to other people. And I think that's the that's the big flip. And so you know, again, uh, when you're in that resistant, fearful state, you're constantly looking at what needs to change outside of me, right? And then I'll be okay. Well, it doesn't work that way. It's it's inside out. Yeah, I think that was exactly my approach to life right there. That's exactly why, uh, why I needed a lot of people to help me. Because, you know, the thinking was that... Um, I mean, that's the only, I, I agree with what you're saying. Like, I didn't know how to succeed. I didn't have that modeled, um, at least in a way that I internalized right. it. So it was just the result, uh, just the, like you say, the car, the house, the family, the marriage, whatever it is. Like, that'll, if I do mm -hmm. this, it'll be mm -hmm. fine. It's like, um, the visual that's coming to mind is, it's like we're running a hurdle race and the resistors want all the hurdles removed. Like they don't want the pain involved. Like, well, if I got the, this hurdle out of the way or if I accomplish this hurdle or, you know, whatever, then, and that's gone, then I'm, I'm mm -hmm. good. But in reality, the only way we're going to run the race is by leaping over the hurdles and actually learning how to deal with that. Well, and that's the thing I think that we really want to uh, help people with more than anything else is the belief that they can do it, you know? I think people are so concerned that they, they can't do it, that they want to put up the facade that they're okay. And, you know, this work, uh, you know, what we're talking about here and uh, what you're working on day-to-day -day with other people, what I'm working on day-to-day -day with other people is communicating the belief that they can and to, to giving them the, the, the courage to step out and actually put themselves on the line because you can't be successful uh, through other people's efforts. You really can't. Not you, at some point, it's going to cost you something. 
there has to be a cost involved if you're truly going to be successful. You know, one of the things I say about this work, I'll tell you this, I've paid a very, in my mind, my perspective, I've paid a very dear price to, you know, learn these concepts and teach these concepts. Um, I've paid a dear price because I've been put on the line in other organizations to actually do it. And so sometimes, um, you know, when I share this with someone, they'll poo-poo it, right? And like, well, that's not a big deal, or that doesn't really matter, or that's not important. And it's like, I, I, you know, and I may not share this with them, but I get mad because you have no idea the price I paid to do what I do today. And until you learn to pay your price to be successful, um, nobody has a right to take that away from you. You know, and one day I believe you both will be in that same situation where, you know, there may somebody will, you know, kind of be dismissive about, you know, your teaching and, and the work you do. And, uh, and they'll have no right to that because they'll have no understanding whatsoever of the price you paid to be successful. So, I, you know, I think a big part of this work is uh, putting ourselves in a place to not only pay our price, and by the way, I don't think you ever stop paying your price to be successful, but to pay our price to be successful and help others pay their price. Yeah, I agree. And it, it really feels good to pay your price. It's really a low cost living to not learn to pay your price. Um, and that's a low reward living, right? There's low, uh, you're not giving, so you're not receiving, right? Um, so I love that in our discussion today, we've highlighted or you've highlighted some people that have made it and it's highlighting even me that has, I've learned a lot more about this and practicing most of it. But I was thinking back to my first job when we got angry people on the phone, I learned to love to take those mm. calls. Like if they were unsatisfied with what we had done, if I provided them truth about what happened and offered them compensation that was mm -hmm. appropriate, they were the easiest people to switch. And so I think like in the example of the, the guy that um, got really angry when he had to report to that everyone else was going to evaluate him. Um, he's like that, that angry customer on the phone. As soon as he realizes that, Hey, this actually works. And this is what really matters. We've spoken truth to that person. We've provided them what really works. And suddenly they understand right. that their way of approaching it is not working. It didn't give them anything. And this way of approaching it, like the person that came to him and said, wow, you're different. And, I'm really thankful that you're going through this or yeah. whatever that happened, right? Like that feels way mm -hmm. better than just accomplishing some checklist. Exactly. Mark, you know that uh, when you and I worked together and I was managing multiple people, there were a few that we identified as potential resistors and we did our best to, you would ask me the question, you know, are you called to work with this person? Because what I've found since then is that if we're not called to work with resistors, mm -hmm. it can take a lot of energy, like you said. Mm -hmm. And if they're taking a lot of energy and we're not called to work with them, it just creates this cycle of um, output that's, you know, creating some stickiness in a, a really heavy way. And um, so I didn't do so well with some of the resistors that were on my team and, and they, 
did what you said, you know, where they put up some things like if this, you know, that if this was better, then um, I'll be better. Things will be better. And what I realized today is that there've been times when I've done that. And for the most part, I like to think of myself as a leader. I like to think of myself as someone that doesn't require a lot of energy, you know, for other people to get me on, on the team. And, but yesterday there were some things coming up. Kevin was asking me some good questions and I just listening to you realized that I was basically putting up some, some resistance and saying, well, if this, if this would be true, you know, if, if, if I can get this part completed or if I can get this system set up, or if I can get this, um, figured out in my brain, then, you know, but, but the reality was I wasn't actually going to figure it out in my brain because it was a fear-based response. And I was reacting to things out of fear. And so even though I don't think of myself as a resistor all the time, there are times, especially as business owners, when we can be resisting success, mm-hmm. we can be resisting um, what's next, the growth that's required for us to get into that next phase of business. And so it's just really good for me to think about what you're saying, not just from the people around me, but also myself. I think that's a really good point, Jamie. I think uh, that's why this is not about judging uh, resistors as bad. You know, it's not about that. It's, we're never uh, meant to judge of others, right? Judge not, lest ye be judged. I mean, and so um, you can still believe in a resistor, uh, but in the end, they may take themselves off the team because of their selfishness. You know, I. Uh, one one of the first times we walked down that path, do you remember what we called that? What well, we decided that would be a behavioral science experiment. Oh yes, that was a good way for right. you to say it. Yes, and 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 I think you presented it in a way where this is a behavioral science experiment, and we're going to see how you do as a leader, right? Right. It was an opportunity to learn something, and and then the process. If we could have helped that individual, great. And in the end, if it didn't work. You know, at least we came out of it knowing that we did the best, right? We did the right thing for for others. And I think that's the guiding light here is I don't want to uh, I don't want to put somebody through the pain of something like that unless they're supposed to go through it. You know, this is about being kind and compassionate and not judging others, but at the same time not deluding ourselves about what the reality of our situation is. You know, we still have a responsibility to make sure we maximize the amount of emotional energy that goes into fulfilling the mission of the company and the business. I'm a real big believer in business. I love business. I think business is fantastic. I think a number of people abuse it, you know, and think it's only about making money for themselves, which it is really not. Um, I'm a big believer that if you know, if a business does really well in serving others, then it will be rewarded with financial wherewithal. Um, so in that case, then I want the maximum amount of emotional energy going into uh, fulfilling the mission of the company. I was thinking this morning of one thing now that I've moved away from having a normal income and and uh, I was kind of reflecting back on my previous you know, experience of being an employee and just how much we're willing to do for a particular lifestyle or a particular, you know, paycheck. 
um, even going back to a couple jobs ago, um, how much travel I was willing to do, how much stress I was willing to take on, you know, and if you think about that might be the story too with the resistor is they, their vision of what business is and what, um, say consulting is or whatever their task is and uh, their role is, is that they have to work really hard, that they have to create stress at a certain level and that somehow that is going to make it so they earned that yeah. paycheck right. instead of, you know, like the how they did that, the fact that they were working so hard that they were working long hours or whatever. Um, instead of just believing that who they are is what makes the difference. Right. And when we can help someone get to that point of understanding the power of who they are, then their whole life can change and they can really start to enjoy what they're doing instead of just creating a mountain of stress on top of that. That's right. I mean, I think a lot of people today, maybe not a lot, some people today think that the more emotional energy you put into a situation, the more valuable or important it seems. It's not necessarily true, you know, and uh, that's why I think that, you know, when we go about the task of teaching people what it means to be successful inside our businesses, there's more than enough challenge to that, you know, because you have to challenge your attitudes and assumptions about the whole concept of work. Um, but I think when we when we do that and we teach people how to be successful in their business, um, those are life lessons they can take anywhere in life from that point forward. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's a, the cool thing about business. It's like a safe place for you to experiment with some of these things. Yes. Try out how love, the power of love works and then bring it home and change the rest of your family <laughs> or, or at least change your role or yourself in that family right. dynamic. Right. So, but I mean, if you really think about it, <clears throat> all of the, maybe not all, but a lot of the life skills we need to be successful you know, we can learn and display at work. And once we get good at them, we can turn around and go into our families, our communities, our organizations, churches, and change those for the better too. I mean, that's how I believe we, you know, change the world to be a better place. Um, it's a very grassroots effort. Um, and uh, I think we can do that uh, from the basis of the businesses we're operating in. That's why I believe so much in business. And, uh, and yeah. I'm committed to helping businesses become great. Yeah, I think it's amazing to even think about Christ. I mean, he felt his calling from a young age. We have the evidence of that. Absolutely. Um, but then being willing to really do the work of the roles that he filled from then that time until his ministry started. And we know that he wasn't just sitting sitting on a rock, you know, no. reading and and doing things. He was actually stepping into the roles that he was called into. The work that he was doing was allowing him to grow as a person, as a human being. It was giving him opportunity to grow, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the same for us. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we might think, well, uh, I need to go to church so I can be more spiritual. But how about we apply our spirituality to what we do for God every day? You know, the roles that we have in yeah. the world. And if we look at it that way, then suddenly we're serving a higher cause every day and what we're doing for our neighbors and for the community that we're serving. That's exactly right. Exactly right. 
All right. Well, thank you very much. It's always beautiful to talk through these subjects. Can't wait until the next one. Yeah. Sounds good, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. And to stay in touch, email us at info at businessaddictspodcast.com.